Today I want us to look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Teens, if you brought a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to that. If you brought an electronic version, I encourage you to open that. But everybody should be reading with me Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you free? Are you free? Are you free of guilt? Are you free from the bondage of sin? Are you free from the values of this world? Are you free? As Americans, the price of freedom comes at great sacrifice and often death. Patriots want our nation's freedom by giving their lives to secure it. And many over the years have made great sacrifices to preserve it. It was Patrick Henry who said, give me liberty or give me death. Today, these words resound to us with great meaning. Especially at a time where we celebrate our liberty as Americans. But for all the fireworks and all the pageantry and all the loud noise late at night while you're trying to sleep. If we're not careful, we'll fail to comprehend what we have as a nation. The privilege that is ours to worship together in freedom. Every Sunday we can choose to worship. Nobody's... Blocking the doors. No one is dictating to us that we cannot worship. It's hard for us to comprehend not having this basic freedom. It's hard for us to understand what it would be like to live under tyranny. To have someone dictate to us how we ought and how we should and how we can live. And so we take our liberty often for granted. But if we were ever to lose it, we would understand its value. And so as a nation, we need to be careful not to take for granted the liberties that were purchased for us at a great price. For Patrick Henry, there were only two options. Give me liberty or give me death. And for us, spiritually, there are only two options. The first choice is spiritual liberty. The second choice is spiritual death. Romans 16, 16 says it this way. Do you not know when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as a slave, you're slaves to the one you obey, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? So again, I ask you the question from Galatians 5.1. See, Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So my question to you today, teenagers, is this. Are you free? Is your conscience clear? Are you free of guilt? Are you free from the bondage of sin? Are you free from the culture, the values of our world? Or do you find yourself more concerned about what other people think? You see, that's natural for us, isn't it? 
because we're so self-centered. We, we're, uh, life evolves around us, and so it's natural for us. And so we live our lives in bondage to what everybody else thinks. But Paul asks us here in Galatians 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of freedom, the yoke of slavery. So my question is this, are you free? Galatians 5.1 is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Paul is arguing here and encouraging followers of Christ to remain free. You see, it was very tempting for them to fall back into the legalism of the law. And that was happening in, in Galatia. And so Paul was addressing this issue. And in particular, he's speaking about circumcision here in Galatians chapter 5. But he challenged them to live as free. Those who've been bought for price. In Ephesians 2.8, he says it this way. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Have you accepted this free gift today? Are you living by faith? In 1776... General George Washington at the time uh, was preparing for a battle. And he needed to get some information. And so he asked for volunteers. And so he asked for a volunteer that would go behind enemy lines and to gather information. A a young 21-year-old raised his hand and stepped forward and said, I'll volunteer. He was a graduate of Yale University. And he was a school teacher who had joined the military. And so he went behind enemy lines and and began to take copious notes of the numbers of troops, of their formations, of where they were located, and he put them in his coat pocket. He was on his way back, dressed as a school teacher, when they caught him. And when they searched him, they found the notes he had taken. And so he would be tried and hung as a spy. It was Nathan Hale that said these words. My only regret is this, that I have only one life to give for my country. You see, our freedom as a a nation was bought at a great price. But our spiritual freedom was also bought at a great price. Christ died for you. He died for me so that we might have life. We might have it to its full. Christ died so that we might have a relationship with Him. The Scripture says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. He knocks at our heart's door, but the reality is no one can open that door but you. God desires a relationship with you. He desires to set you free from the bondage of sin from the guilt in your life, and to help you to live as those who are called of God, to become the people that God has created you to be. You see, freedom is so much bigger, students, than it is about right and wrong. It's about becoming the person He created us to be. Are you living as free? That's the question today. 
So how do we gain that freedom? Well, we ask Christ in our heart and our lives. We open the door. This freedom that was bought for us at a great price. But the scripture also tells us we must be willing to die to self. Matthew 16 says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. You see, we find the purpose and the place of God when we lose our life for him. When we surrender our lives daily to him. When we're sensitive to the leading of his Holy Spirit as we allow him to transform us into his image. You see, it is through justification that we are liberated from the penalty of sin. When we are justified, our sinful record is cleared. All charges against us are dropped. We are forgiven. We are made just as if we had never sinned. The righteousness of Christ is credited to our account. He paid a debt that you cannot possibly pay. And yet he died so we might have this relationship, this freedom with him. Through sanctification, the Holy Spirit liberates us through the power of sin, over the power of sin. Prior to our relationship with Christ, we had old habits. When I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord, I was walking in a way that was contrary to the things of God. I was doing things that was contrary to the things of God. But when I asked Christ into my heart and my life, I began to walk towards Him. Walk towards His righteousness. Walk towards His holiness. But the reality is we cannot do that in our own strength. It's only through the power, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. As we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, that He guides and directs us to become the person He is creating us to be. So my question today is this, are you free? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. You see, these followers of Christ, they were going back into the ways of the law. And and Paul is saying, hey, 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 what, what are you doing here? We've been free. Free to live as Christ called us to live. Are you free? As Christians, we often wonder why people are so resistant to Christ. Why why hold on to sin? Why hold on to that which obviously destroys life and relationships? Those of us who are followers of Christ, we, we, it doesn't make sense to us. Why would you hold on to that lust? Why would you hold on to that temptation? Why would you hold on to that addiction? It makes no sense to us. And yet we see it all around us every day. Why wouldn't you accept Christ and be forgiven and cleansed and made new? Why do you hold on to so much that hurts so many? I think the Stockholm Syndrome helps us to understand that a little bit. You know, Stockholm Syndrome is a syndrome where, a, where the victim, uh, Stockholm Syndrome has been a term that describes how the behavior of a kidnapped victim who becomes sympathetic to their captors. And we hear about this over the years. Out of the fear of violence, um, the person who's been taken 
captive, they turn to their captors. And every scrap of food, every kindness that's extended to them, they become empathetic towards them. So much so that it's not unusual when asked to testify in a court of law, those who became victims will not do so months and sometimes years after that situation. They identify with their captors. They worry about rescue attempts being made on their lives because they're afraid that if a rescue attempt is made, that they will lose their life. And they buy into the the words of their captors. We see battered spouses, abused children, prisoners of war, often in bondage to their captors. And yet how many around us are in bondage to sin? To those addictions. The drive for success. Popularity. The half things. So worried about what everybody else thinks that we fail to find the freedom that Christ intended for us. And so we hold on to that relationship that we know is not right. We hold on to that situation that God has been talking to us about, but we're afraid to let go. The Scripture says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. So the question is, are you free? Are you free? Verse 7, Romans, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? It's not uncommon we'll see followers of Christ to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord. And for one reason or another, it seems like they've walked away from the truth. Why is this happening? What, what's going on in their lives? You know, when I became a Christian, um, there was a guy in, in my gymnastics. I was a gymnast in high school. And there was this guy, he was real tall. Tall for a gymnast. Most gymnasts are short. I'm 5'8", and I was fairly tall for a gymnast. So that just kind of tells you most of them are smaller than me. And uh, this guy was probably 6'2", which was unusual. We had to raise the high bar for him to compete. And then they'd have to lower it so I could reach the high bar. His name was Rod Anderson. And when I became a Christian, he attended the church I attended, but he was away from the Lord. He was not walking in the faith. And when I became a Christian, he said to me, Rex, I know you. And this will not last. You will not keep the faith. You will walk away from the faith. And I remember thinking to myself that day, Rod Anderson, you have no authority over me, and you don't know what you're talking about. I made a decision for Christ, and I'm going to live my life for Christ. And that was a challenge to me that day, to show him, if nobody else, that I was going to live for Christ. Well, sometimes, you know, we we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord. We go to camp, and things are going really well. We're on the mountaintop experience, and then life hits, and things get really tough. And we fail, and we make a mistake, and here comes Satan's voice. See, I told you you were a loser. Rod Anderson, he was right. 
It's not going to last. And I made a few mistakes as I began to walk towards Christ. And, and Satan would say to me, see, Rod Anderson was right. And I'd say to Satan, Satan, you have no power and authority over me. Get behind me. And I began to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, and walk towards him. You see, it's a decision of our intellect and our will to follow Christ, to take up our cross daily and follow him. You know the difference between a big shot and a little shot? A big shot keeps on shooting. You know the difference between a successful Christian and one who walks away from his faith? It's the understanding of who God is. You see, Satan is already defeated. And he's a defeated foe. And so when he speaks evil against us, we say, Satan, you have no power and authority in my life. And I choose to walk and live for you. And we get ourselves up and we move with Christ. But what we do, our tendency is to to wallow in our self-pity. Now, I grew up in Xenia, Ohio, a lot of farms around us, and there were pigs, farms all over the place. And I would watch those pigs. They loved mud, and they loved a wallow. Is, is wallow a word? Nobody's answering me. I think it's a word, in the mud. Well, we do that, don't we? We make a mistake, we blow it, and we have a self-pity. And we listen to the evil one. And we wallow in our self-pity. And the reality is, self-pity does no one any good. And so we need to tell Satan, Satan, you have no power and authority. And then he begins to blame. Use the blame game. He blames other people. Well, it's not your fault. If he would have done what he said he was going to do, if he would have lived the way he said he if he would have kept his promise, it's not your, it's not, you didn't choose this. And that may be true. Often we find ourselves in predicaments and in situations that we have no power and authority over. I see it all the time. And yet we can get caught up in our self-pity and and blame our circumstances on others and not take responsibility for it ourselves. And that builds to a place where oftentimes it festers. And our self-pity and our blame turns to resentment. The reality is, no one is exempt from being treated unfairly. However, when we hold our disappointment or pain or anger and resentment, it can grow in our hearts like a cancer. And keep us from understanding the grace of God in our own lives. Look at the rest of that verse. Galatians 5, 7 says, we were running a good ra- You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Has anybody cut in on your relationship with Christ? Are you current today with your relationship? That kind of per- persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I want you to look at that. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. When we're tempted to be have self-pity, to blame others, to allow resentment to build in our lives, to allow anger to build, we need to say to Satan, Satan, you have no power and authority in our lives. And to take to heart this scripture, 
That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. You see, the one who calls you is the one who sends you. The one who calls you is the one who equips you. The one who calls you is the one who empowers you. The one who calls you is the one who gives you his Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, to direct you in life. He's not the accuser. He's the redeemer. And we need to understand that. This kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. So we say to Satan, you have no power and authority in my life. Get behind me. Verse 9. says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Well, isn't that the truth? We get this one negative thought swirling around in our head. And before we know it, we're discouraged in our faith. And we need to recognize where that comes from. It doesn't come from the one who calls you. Then verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Teens, I want to encourage you to stop impressing and start investing. It'll change everything. You see, when we think the Christian life is about all the things we don't do, we miss the whole point. The whole point is we are called to invest in others. We are called to take up our cross daily and to follow Him. We are called to die to self. Why? So that we might be used to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Look at that verse again. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You're called to serve one another. A successful marriage is one that understands this commitment to serve one another. You see, when I have your best interest at heart and you have my best interest in heart, it helps to make for a successful marriage. And we are called to serve one another in love. Stop impressing and start investing in the world around you. He goes on to say, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourselves. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, when we take our eyes off the things we don't do, and we start putting our eyes on the things we do do, and we walk in the Spirit, we live with Him, and we realize the purpose and call in our lives, and we take it all off of us, and we begin to think about others, it changes everything. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desire what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Far too often we get caught up on the value, in the values of our world. And we run the rat race trying to keep up with everybody else. Too, too concerned about impressing and less about investing. 
Help us, Lord, to spend more of our energy and more of our time investing. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fractions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. Galatians 5 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you understand his freedom to become the person he's created you to be? Stop impressing. Start investing. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Lord, help me to love the unlovable in my life. Lord, help me to love unconditionally the world around me. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Lord, my prayer is that the joy of the Lord would be in my heart, be expressed in my eyes, in my mouth, my thoughts. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Lord, help me to understand your peace. Peace that is strength for life. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. When I was a high school student, uh, my jobs were different than most of my friends. Most of my friends worked fast food or they uh, worked at uh, uh, the grocery store bagging groceries in my little town of Xenia, Ohio. But I, I worked several odd jobs. I was worked for the YMCA. I taught uh, swimming in a life-saving class and I taught tumbling and a trampoline class and a gymnastics class for the Parks and Recreations Department. I was a lifeguard for their pool, and the, then on weekends I would travel and teach gymnastics at different areas around the county. And for the Boy Scouts, I, I taught rowing, and canoeing, and sailing. I lived actually at a lakefront for eight weeks of my summer for three summers and taught those different sports. Uh, for the jump club, I packed chutes and, uh, and put out, filled up the planes with gasoline and and helped to put out students. And, and it was kind of an adventurous time of life for me. Well, as a canoeer, uh, teaching canoeing, I learned a lot about canoeing. I became really quite proficient at canoeing. We would have competitions at the lake uh, every Wednesday night. We'd have eight weeks of camps, and every Wednesday night, all the families of all the Boy Scouts would be invited in, and we'd have uh, competitions with rowboats and canoes and sailboats and all these different things. And one of the competitions was in and out races, and that was very simple. Every time the whistle would blow, you had to jump out of your canoe and then back in. And so you had to go through an obstacle course of pylons in the water, with the canoe, and then every time the whistle or horn would blow, you jumped out 
in the back end. And if you were good and you had a partner that was good, man, you could in and out like that. I mean, in and out, just that fast. And we were that fast. And so I loved that. It was one of my favorite competitions as a Boy Scout. And then I got to practice it as a counselor, and we would compete against the, the students. And, of course, we just killed them. And I loved it. I mean, it was a great time of life. And I was really quite proficient at canoeing. And uh, so one week we went, uh, on a Saturday, two of us went down to the river, the Little Miami River, there near my hometown of Xenia. And the water was swollen from heavy rains that had happened. And I was kind of excited about that, the adventure of fast rapids and, and a lot of water. And, and uh, we got in the water and started canoeing down. Of course, the canoe was going twice as fast as it would normally go. And, and we're just struggling to negotiate the rapids and just having fun with it. And I saw to my right this difficult direction to go. I thought, you know, that's more of a challenge. Let's go that way. And so we made our way in this little section there. And unbeknownst to me, there was a log in the water. And it caught our canoe. And immediately our canoe turned sideways and capsized. And as fast as we could be in and out, we were stuck. Uh, the, the, my guy that was on the bow of the canoe, he went down beside, but the canoe swept up against this log, and it was trapped, and I was trapped beside the canoe up against this log. Finally, the canoe made its way around the log and went off down, and here I am stuck on this log. The water's pressing, press, pressing in on every side of me. I, I'm clinging on this log for life. I'm gasping for breath. I could feel myself sinking further and further into the water. And I tried and tried. My arms were getting exhausted and getting tired. And I could not hold on. I, I began to see the, the news articles because every year you'd see people who drowned in the river. And I saw a lifeguard drowns in the river. And I thought this was it. I, this is the second time that I thought that this was it. The first time was the Xenia tornado when it came through. I wasn't a believer in Christ. And I prayed the sinner's prayer because I knew the difference between right and wrong. And I asked Christ into my heart and life. And as soon as the winds passed, so did my commitment. But this time, I was a believer. I was a follower of Christ. And I was hanging on desperately. Because even though I was a believer, I didn't want to go now. <laughs> Finally, I took a great breath and pushed myself under the water and under the log and popped out on the other side. I'm afraid that far too often we hang on with desperation to the sin that so entangles us in life. And we fail to experience the freedom that Christ has for us. And he's come to set us free. And my question to you today is this. Are you free? Are you free from your burden of sin? Are you free from guilt? Is your conscience clear? Do you know my Savior and my Lord? You see, he wants to set you free. He wants to give you life and give it to its full. He wants you to know the power of his salvation. Not only that, he wants to call you to invest in others. He has a purpose and a plan for you. Do you know my Savior? He wants to set you free. Pastor Edgar is going to come and lead us in a song this morning.